Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Please enjoy our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also, listen to our roundtable discussions as myself, Greg Ross, and Eric Feeman talk about the major theological discussions of the Bible. Also, enjoy some of our interviews and apostolic apologetic series. We thank you so much for listening. Please let us know what you think by emailing BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com. And also leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Bible 101. Today we're going to do another episode in our Apostolic Apologetic series. This is going to be called The Record of God. And I'm going to be talking about 1 John 5, 7, and 8. And I'm going to title this Three Persons or Three Records. Let's read 1 John chapter 5 and verses 7 and 8. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree in one first thing i want to point out is that scripture is clear in both the old and new testament that there is only one god let's read a few of those scriptures deuteronomy 6 and 4 hear o israel the lord our god is one lord first timothy 2 and 5 for there is one god and one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus first timothy 1 17 now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. James 2 and 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So the question must be, if there is only one God, why are there three that bear record in heaven? Well, let's read another per- scripture uh, for the purpose of clarification. 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Let me first point out that the foreknowledge of God the Father testifies or bears witness. It means the same thing, that we are elect because he knows the future. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Acts 2.23 says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So what does he mean by foreknowledge? God knows your future. That does not mean he predetermines your future. It doesn't mean that he is, uh, uh, excuse me, it does not mean that he's predestined you uh, to be saved or to be lost. But what it does mean is he knows which decisions you're going to make because he has foreknowledge. He calls those things that shall be as though they already were. Um, And here in Acts 2 and 23, he says that Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. 
Okay, now let's focus on the second thing that he mentioned here in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, um, through sanctification of the Spirit, and then he goes on to say, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Uh, now remember in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 7, it says there's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word. Now let's talk about the Word. Uh, the Word, or the Logos, is the expression of God. We must understand that all things were made by the Word of God. For instance, in Genesis chapter 1, let's walk throughout here and look at this. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1 and 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Okay, so let's compare all of these scriptures here with John 1, uh, verses 1 uh, through 3. In the beginning was the Word. It's the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This also describes the plan of God, which was in His foreknowledge. Genesis 3, 15. And I will put enmities, he speaking to the serpent, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You can see our Bible 101 series on Lesson 3, The Fall, to understand the scripture better. Now let's read 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Let's read Revelation 13 and 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Let's read Acts 2, 23. We read it a minute ago. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Uh, notice also that the word testifies that we are God's children. The word talks about the plan of God, but it also testifies about the fact that we are God's children. Let's read Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word testifies that we are God's children because of his redemptive work. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What does mediator mean? Okay, here's the definition. Number one, one who intervenes between two, either in order to make or restore peace and friendship or form a compact, or for ratifying a covenant. Number two, 
a medium of communication, an arbitrator. So you might say that this implies two persons. You got one God and one mediator between God and man. But let's read Galatians 3 and 20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Here's another translation. This is the ESV translation, English Standard Version. Now an intermediator implies more than one, but God is one. So thirdly, the witness I want to talk about now is the Holy Ghost. It bears witness in heaven for us. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you speak in tongues, uh, that bears witness that you have received the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost is called the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead. Read that in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. This was the Father. Read Romans 6 and 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Interestingly enough, the Holy Ghost is called the Holy Ghost. It's called the Spirit of the Father, and it's also called the Spirit of Christ. Romans 8 and 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And of course, I mentioned this earlier, but it's also called the Holy Ghost. Look at Acts 2 and 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 10, verses, uh, verse number 44 says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on, on them when she heard the word. So why would the Spirit that comes within you called the Holy Ghost be called the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Christ, and the Holy Ghost? The reason? These three are one. Uh, number one, God the Father will resurrect you like he resurrected Christ. Romans 8, 11, we just read it. Number two, Jesus abides in us and forever makes intercession for us. Let's read John 14, verses 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, Jesus speaking, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. What does he mean by that? He's saying he's dwelling with you right now. But he says, there's coming a day he's going to be inside of you. Verse 18, he goes on to explain what he means by that. Watch this. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Hebrews 7, 25 says this. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Colossians 1 and verse 27 to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Ghost describes God in action. He prays through us. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27 of Romans 8. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
So the foreknowledge of God the Father, the Word of God, the Logos, Jesus in other words, through his redemptive work on the cross and the Holy Ghost in filling are three records that testify that we are the children of God. And these three are records of one God. But as beautiful as that is, John didn't stop there. It's going to 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Witness is the same Greek word as record in verse 7. When he said these three that bear record in heaven, uh, this is the same word here, witness. And it says there are three records, not persons in heaven, that testify. Now we are told that there are three records in earth that testify. A lot of people that want to point to 1 John 5 and 7 to prove that there's three persons in heaven neglect to say it says there's three that bear record. It didn't say there's three persons that bear record. It says there's three that bear record. But what they also neglect is verse number eight. There's three that bear witness in earth. That's the same Greek word. It could be read like this. There are three that bear record in earth. And watch this, the spirit and the water and the blood. Now, are you going to sit there and tell me that uh, the water and the blood are persons? Of course not. We understand what it's saying. These are three records. Follow along with me. And it says, and these three agree in one. Now, it translates it this way in the King James Version, but it could be translated identical to the previous verse that says these three are one. This is what how it, it could read because it's the same exact uh, Greek expression here. And these three agree in one. It could say these three are one. Okay. Um, so there's three records in heaven that testify. Now we are told that there are three records in earth that testify. Number one, the spirit. Romans 8, 16, we read it a minute ago. The spirit itself beareth witness, watch this, with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's one of the beautiful things about speaking in tongues when the Spirit of God infills you. It bears record with your spirit. And it can continue to bear record with your spirit that you're a child of God. When you pray, the Holy Ghost comes on you. You speak with tongues again. Um, I like what one man said. He said, don't doubt your experience. Confirm it. If you're starting to doubt Holy Ghost and filling, confirm it. Go to prayer until God fills you afresh with his spirit. till he renews you in his spirit. That bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. So the spirit bears witness with our spirit. In other words, it assures us that we are God's children. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost is the earnest of our inheritance. In other words, it's the down payment of our inheritance. It's our assurance of heaven. Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Promise. Remember what Peter said in Acts 2.39, for the promise is unto you and to your children, all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 14 of Ephesians 1 now, which is the earnest of our inheritance until 
the redemption of the promised possession unto the praise of his glory. So if you find yourself doubting the concept of heaven, just get another taste of the down payment. Tongue service is a sign to the unbeliever, you and everyone around you, in other words, that you have the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 14, 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Tongues are an outward evidence of an inward experience. Acts 10, verses 44 through 47, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, meaning the Jews, of course, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues. That's how they knew they got the Holy Ghost. And magnified God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Okay, so we talked about the first witness. He said the Spirit, uh, and then he said the water, and thirdly, he said the blood. Let's talk about the second witness, or record in earth, uh, the water. Let's talk about it. First John 5 and 8, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one, or these three are one, okay? So in context, John is referring to his own gospel. Let's read John 19 and 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out blood and water. Now let's also read in John's gospel, John 3 and 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. To the person that says that the Greek word and should be translated even because the water and the Spirit are one and the same, I respond with 1 John 5 and 8. Let's read this. These three, uh, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood. Look at Mark chapter 16, and I believe it's verse number 17. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That word and is very important there. It's not just enough to believe. You must be baptized, okay? So clearly, these are separate witnesses or records that are one. Even though the Spirit is like living water, the Bible does say that in John 7, uh, verses 37, uh, 37 through 39. I'm not going to take time to read that. And also in John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. But John clearly uses water in the sense of baptism in other places. Let's read John, um, uh, or you can read John 126, John 131, John 133. For the sake of time, I'm going to move on. Uh, I could take time to read it, but look those verses up in your own time and read them. He does refer to water baptism in his gospel. So John went to the trouble of separating water from spirit in 1 John 5 and 8. And so it is clear that water and spirit are multiple records or witnesses in earth. He said the spirit and the water, not meaning that they're one and the same. Uh, and also in John 3 and 5, except a man be born of water and of the spirit. Okay, Baptism in Jesus' name is a record. It's how we put on Christ. Galatians 3.27, for as many as you as have been baptized into, into Christ have put on Christ. Number two, it's how we are circumcised according to the New Testament plan. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 12, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism. So that's the New Testament circumcision. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Number three, 
It's how we are buried with him or identify with his burial. Romans 6 and 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Number four, it's how we apply his blood. Matthew 26 and 28. And I understand that the blood's uh, provided or applied to your life throughout the process of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, this is Jesus speaking, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But watch Acts 2, 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So if Jesus said his blood is given for the remission of sins, and in Acts 2.38, Peter said you must be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that tells us very clearly that you must be baptized in order to apply that blood. Now, let's just reverse these statements that I've just made. I gave you four points for uh, baptism serving as a record. Now let's reverse these statements. So if you have not been baptized into Christ, you have not put on Christ. Number two, if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, you have not been circumcised according to the New Testament plan. Number three, if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, you have not identified with his burial. Number four, if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, you have not applied his blood to your life. There are no less than eight New Testament verses that speak about baptism. Don't tell me it's not important. Finally, the Bible gives us a third witness on earth, in earth. It says, uh, the blood. Now let's read Matthew 26, 28. For this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins or for the remission of sins. The blood of Jesus speaks on our behalf. Hebrews 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood of Abel still speaks according to Hebrews 11 and 4. Uh, but the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. And that's powerful. Uh, it speaks on our behalf. It testifies on our behalf. You know, the blood of Abel cries vengeance. The blood of Abel cries betrayal. But the blood of Jesus cries mercy and forgiveness. You want to know how powerful the blood of Jesus is? Go and read what happened when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says that the ground began to shake. There was a great earthquake. The veil of the temple was rent in twain. What I believe is uh, when Jesus was crucified on Calvary, that that blood began to flow underground and it moved toward the temple and the veil of the temple was rent uh, when that blood ran into the earth and it ran to that mercy seat. And I believe that it, it, it went through the graveyards and that's what caused them to, to rise up out of the graves. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Okay, uh, let's read this. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne of God and to prove that. I want to read Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Uh, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is why Jesus said, I am the door. John 10, verses 7 through 9. And then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the shepherd 
and here he is the door. Some shepherds lay down across the entry of the sheepfold at night to sleep. Wild beasts would be discouraged from entering and sheep would not exit. Thus, the shepherd was also the door. That's from the New King James Version Study Bible. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. On Noah's ark, there was only one door. That's Genesis 6. Jesus is the shepherd, here he is the door. Some shepherds lay down across the entry of the sheepfold at night to sleep. Wild beasts would be discouraged from entering and sheep would not exit. Thus the shepherd was also the door. That's from the New King James Version Study Bible. Now this is the reason why Jesus said in John 14 and 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. On Noah's ark, there was only one door. In Genesis 6 and 16, a window shalt thou make in the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Also, in the tabernacle, there was only one entrance into the Holy of Holies, through the veil. Only the high priest could enter, and he could only enter once a year, and he could not enter without blood. Let's read it. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people." The Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Now, uh, when Jesus said it is finished, it was one Greek word, and what that means is paid in full. At this point, the veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielding up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. It, the writer of Hebrews also called the veil the flesh of Jesus. Let's read it. Hebrews 10, 19-20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holy, holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So his flesh served as the door to heaven and to the Father because, number one, God is a spirit. John 4, 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Number two, a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood. 
Um, Luke 24, verse 39, Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. Number three, God moved on Mary, and she conceived by the seed of the Spirit. Matthew 1.18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Luke 1.34 and 35, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law. Okay, so number four, God was in Christ. I'm trying to help you understand the gospel. Let me go back over my points quickly. Um, Number one, God is a spirit. And number two, a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood. Number three, so God moved on Mary, and she conceived by the seed of the Spirit. And number four, we're told God was in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.19. Now watch the language here very, very carefully, because there's something in this verse that a lot of people pass over and they miss. But watch, I'm going to read it slowly so you'll catch it. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world, watch this, unto himself, not themselves, The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there are three persons in the Godhead, but these three persons are one God. And they teach that the Father is a person, the Son is a person, and the Holy Ghost is a person. And they still say somehow these three are one. But I want you to think about what this verse says here. To wit, that God was in Christ. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity would read that, to wit, that uh, God was in Christ. And there may be some debate between them about uh, God was in Christ. What does that mean? Is that the second person or is that the first person that was in Christ? Because Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So I would like to ask the Trinitarian that's listening today to explain to me, what does this mean? that God was in Christ. How do you explain this? Is this the first person or the second person? Or do you say it's all three? But notice what it says here, to wit that God was in Christ, watch this, reconciling the world unto himself, not themselves. It says unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So notice the singular here. God was in Christ, but through Christ, he reconciled the world with himself. Now, again, I know I'm being redundant, but I'm going to pass over these points again and talk about them. I mentioned, first of all, God is a spirit. I mentioned, second of all, as a spirit, he didn't have flesh and blood. The Bible says he purchased the church with his own blood. How could he do this? Not as a spirit. Okay, so number three, he moved on Mary. She conceived by the seed of the spirit. And number four, God was inside of Christ. He was in Christ. And through being in Christ, he reconciled the world unto himself. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is John 1.18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. One translation says, the only begotten Son who is in closest relationship with the Father, he hath revealed him. Uh, To declare means to reveal. He's revealed him to us. 
That's why he could look at Philip in John 14 and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The glory of God was in the face of Jesus Christ. As a spirit, you can't see him. The Bible is very clear. No man has seen God at any time. Again, that's John 1.18. Look it up. Don't take my word for any of this. Please follow along in your Bible and look it up and make sure I'm telling you the truth. John 1.18 says, no man has seen God at any time. You can't see God except in the face of Jesus Christ. He declared him. He made him known to us. Uh, he revealed uh, uh, He revealed himself through Jesus Christ. That's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at Colossians 1.15, who is the image, talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. You cannot see God as a spirit, but you can see him in the face of Jesus Christ. He made God known to us, okay? And uh, he said, I can do nothing of myself. He said, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works, okay? Uh, so number four was God was in Christ. Now number five, God is invisible, 1 Timothy 1.17, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so no man has seen God in any time. I just mentioned that. But here's another scripture to prove the point. 1 John 4.12, no man has seen God at any time. Not in his fullness. Okay, uh, you, some might say, well, what about Moses? He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. But God responded to him, no man can see me and live, but I'll let you see my hinder parts when I pass by you. But he said, no man can see me and live. You can't see God in his fullness and live. Okay. So no man seen God at any time. Scripture is very clear on this point. Number six, and I mentioned this a minute ago, but let's go over it again. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, Colossians 1, 14 and 15. Let's read the whole context here. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That is why Jesus said in John 14, 8 through 9, when Philip saith unto him, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, Jesus saith unto him, this is John 14 and 9, please follow along in your Bible. Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Okay? You can't see God and live. But Jesus revealed the Father to us. I know I'm being redundant, but I want to make sure you get this point But before I, uh, I move forward. I tend to beat a dead horse. But I do want to make sure you understand this point. It's very important. Okay, and the seventh point I want to make is, now the sixth point uh, was Jesus is the image of the invisible God, but number seven, as the image of God, he revealed the Father and made him known. I mentioned John 1.18, uh, he hath declared him, he hath made him known, in other words. Okay, um, now, you can't separate God and Jesus. John 14.10, watch this, believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Now notice what he said. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, 
and the Father in me. You can't separate the two. All right? Uh, one man made the illustration this way. He said, it's like lemon water. You take the lemon, you put it in the water. The water is in the lemon, but the lemon is also in the water. You can't separate God and Jesus. Okay? Notice what he said. I am in the Father and the Father in me. You can't separate the two. That's a problem I have with the doctrine of the Trinity. They try to take and somehow separate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, saying they're three persons. And some might avoid the word separate or distinct, uh, but if you listen to them talk long enough, a lot of times they'll slip and they'll say separate or distinct persons. Okay? Um, but when you think of a, a person, you think of uh, body, soul, and spirit. And I'm not sure that anybody can understand the concept of a person uh, while still being one and the same with another person. It doesn't make much sense. One of their favorite verses that they'll point to, and I'm going to hit a rabbit trail here for a minute before we get into point number eight, but um, is Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 18. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, And they'll say, look at the plural here. And then they'll say, well, when he created man, he, he made him body, soul, and spirit. Well, that's a representation of the Trinity. Here's one problem with that. Adam, no matter how you try to divide him, was only one person. That's why the next verse, Genesis 1 and uh, 18 says, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness. But then the next verse says, then he created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male, female created he them. So if you look at that, when he made Adam, Adam was only one person, and it says he was made in his singular own image. Okay? So who was he talking to in Genesis 1.18? Well, there are several views I could give you. Some say he was talking to the angels. You can read he did counsel with the angels. They were present at creation. You can read that in the book of Job. Also in the book of Isaiah, he told Isaiah, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Well, who was us? The court of heaven was there. So uh, you can also read in, I believe it is in the book of, I don't have it in front of me, but Second Kings, uh, when it talks about Ahab, it might be First Kings, but when it talks about Ahab, and the Bible says that Micaiah was brought before Ahab, and he told him that he saw a vision in the courts of heaven, and God said, uh, what shall we do? And a spirit stood forward, and he said, I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, it's good, do it. So the Lord does include angels in on some decisions. So uh, to say he's not talking to the angels there, well, you don't know for sure. It never says that the Father was talking to the Son. Go back and read it again, Genesis 1.18. It never says the Father was talking to the Son. It doesn't tell us who he was talking to. Some say he was counseling within his own will. For instance, if you sit down and you say, let's see what we're going to do here. Well, what you're actually saying is, let us see what we're going to do here. Now, you're one person, and yet you're speaking of uh, kind of, they call it the plural of deliberation. Um, another thing is some people say he's speaking in prophecy, but I'm not going to get into all that. Uh, but I'm trying to tell you that there's more options here than just to say, well, that's the father talking to the son. The Bible never says it was the father talking to the son. That's pure assumption. Okay. 
Um, and so one man said, well, your opinion's as good as mine. If you want to say the father's talking to the son, I could say that he was talking to his holy angels. And it doesn't say who he was talking to. So, um, you know, if you can have your opinion, I can have mine. The point is simply this. Jesus said very clearly here, I am in the Father and the Father in me. Don't try to separate the Father and the Son. He said, the Father is in me. He says, I can do nothing of myself. Now, that's interesting. Think about that. Because the doctrine of the Trinity teaches that they're co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent. However, the Bible says very clearly, Jesus' words... Okay, this is Jesus speaking. It's in red letters. If you have a red letter edition Bible, it's in red letters. Jesus made this statement. He said, I can do nothing of myself. He said, the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So he said very clearly that the Father was the one doing miracles and that the Son could not do miracles in and of himself. So how could they be co-equal if the Son can do nothing but the Father does the works? Okay, that tells us that they're not co-equal. Furthermore, if they're co-equal, why did Jesus pray to the Father? That would put one being lesser than the other. But what I'm simply telling you is, it's simply like this. What did he mean by that? He's saying, I can do nothing of myself, talking about the flesh. Okay, he said, but the Father, talking about the eternal spirit that dwells in me, he does the works. God is the creator. God is the sustainer of all things. God simply speaks and it happens. God has all power. He can heal. He can deliver. He can save. All right? Uh, but what Jesus was saying was this flesh can do nothing in and of itself. Okay? Some people, this is very important because some people teach a divine flesh doctrine. But Jesus said very clearly, I can do nothing of myself. He said, but the Father that dwells in me does the works. Okay, I think I've beat that dead horse enough. Let's move on. Number eight, we can come to God through Christ. There's many scriptures that talk about through Christ. And we're going to get into those here in a minute. Let's read John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. Notice the definite article here. The way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's very important. He said no man can approach the Father except through Jesus. All right? Now, let's notice how many scriptures say God deals with us or we deal with God through Christ. Watch this. This might be eye-opening to some of you that think, even think you understand the Godhead, but watch these scriptures. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5. Verses 10 through 11. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice a pattern here? Galatians 4 and 7. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, but if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Philippians 4 and 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Romans 6 and 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5 and 1. 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, I've established the fact that it's in Christ that God reconciled the world unto himself. I've just got through reading all of these scriptures that how we have peace, how we have joy is through our Lord Jesus Christ, through that redemptive work. Without the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, none of us could approach the Father. Why? Because he's holy. And remember, I taught it in Bible 101. Go back and listen to it. Lesson number three. When sin entered the picture, there had to be a separation between God and man because God is perfect. God is holy. Uh, and he cannot dwell with, with unclean, immoral, uh, impure beings unless it was through a, a redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Through the redemptive work of Christ, we have access to the Father. That's why the Bible tells us we should not trample on his blood. We should not treat it as a light thing because it's through his blood that we have redemption and remission of sins. Okay, In number nine, that is why Acts 20:28 20, says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost uh, hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Watch this. This is so powerful. Which he hath purchased with his own blood. Okay? Jesus was a man, but he was not just a man. He was God manifested or revealed in flesh. First Timothy 3.16 for without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, uh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Okay, let's end by giving you the punchline. Now, we've talked about a lot of verses of Scripture, 1 John 5, 7, and 8, um, and I hope I've taken time to prove the case that there's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, through his foreknowledge, the Word, okay? The Word talks about the plan of God, obviously Jesus Christ. Uh, the plan was with God in the beginning. Uh, he did everything through his plan, all right? And uh, then it says uh, the, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And then it says there are three that bear record in earth, uh, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one, or it could be translated, and these three are one. All right. So I hope I've taken time to, to prove each of these things and showed you how that those three witnesses can testify to you. The spirit bears witness with our spirit by being water baptized in Jesus name. You have that assurance that your sins have been washed away in the waters of baptism. And thirdly, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have access into the presence of the father. Now, there's three that testify in, in heaven, the father and his foreknowledge, the word through his plan and through his redemptive work, and then the Holy Ghost testifies on your behalf. These three are three records of one God. But then in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, all three testify, and they testify to you. They testify on earth that we are children of God. It's powerful, okay? Um, now, let me give you the punchline. God keeps accurate records. When we stand before God uh, to be judged, he'll have perfect records. Number one, in heaven, the foreknowledge of God the Father, the redemptive word of uh, work of the word and the Holy Ghost and filling testify that we are God's children. And in earth, the spirit, the blood, and the water all agree that we are God's children. But it goes beyond this. God keeps our tears in a bottle. And in his book, Psalm chapter 56 and verse number 8, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? 
Also, our prayers are kept in a bowl, Revelation 5 and 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials, bowls, in in other words, uh, full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Iniquity is also kept in a cup. So there's there's good and bad here, okay? If you've done evil, it's kept it's kept in God's records. Genesis 15 and 16, uh, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Bible does talk about the cup of God's wrath in the book of Jeremiah. I'm not going to take time to get into that. You can compare that with Jeremiah chapter 25. Okay, so in closing, let me uh, tell you a little story that's found in the book of Esther. In this story, there was a wicked man by the name of Haman. Some of you that know the Bible well, you're going to remember this story. And this wicked man by the name of Haman had plotted to kill a godly man who was named Mordecai. He was a Jew. Mordecai was a Jew. Haman was an Agagite. And uh, Mordecai refused to bow before Haman. There's a lot of debate about why. But Haman hated Mordecai, and so he had plotted to kill him. He had already gotten the agreement of, uh, of the king to put to death the Jews. But he goes in to speak to him about putting Mordecai to death. But a few years before that, Mordecai had spared the king's life, and this was put back in the king's books, his chronicles. But the king had never taken time to reward it. And so one night, I believe through divine providence, that, um, and one thing that's interesting, let me just say this, is that in the book of Esther, you don't find the name of God in the book of Esther. And some have pointed to that and say, well, it doesn't belong in the Bible, but that's not true. You could see the hand of God. You could see his providence all throughout the book. Um, He's a silent guiding force behind the scenes. And that night, as Haman's on his way to request the life of Mordecai hung on a tree, hung on a gallows, excuse me, um, the king cannot sleep. And he calls for his his aide to read the chronicles unto him, thinking probably he was going to fall asleep because they're pretty boring records. He just happened to flip open to the page that had the record of Mordecai sparing his life. And the king said, what has been done for him? And he said, nothing, O king. And Haman comes in at that very moment, and the tables are turned on Haman. And the king asked Haman, what would you do for a man whom the king delighted to honor? And Haman really paints the picture beautiful because he thinks he's talking about himself. And he says, well, you know, I'd put him on, on, on the king's horse and put the king's robe on him, and, and he gives him this huge thing. And uh, he said, thus shall it be done for the, the man whom the king delighted to honor. And he said, go and do all these things for Mordecai, the Jew. And he went and did them for him. His enemy was forced to do this. And so I end this way. God keeps perfect books in heaven. And while it may seem to somebody that's listening to this here today that God has forgotten about you and he's forgotten about all the good things that you've done, but can I just say God keeps perfect record books. God's about to visit his books and God's going to reward you. If you've done good, he's going to reward you. If you've done evil, he's going to pay you according to the evil that you've done. Can I just say this, that even if you've done evil, it's not too late to reverse the books. God can wipe that slate clean through his blood. His blood can soak the pages 
of the book of your life. That way, when he looks at you in judgment day, he'll see you through the veil. He'll see you through the veil, that is to say, the, the flesh of Jesus Christ, the blood, the redemptive work of Jesus. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and man. He can plead your case. But can I say here today, if you have not repented of your sins and been baptized in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, you're going to have to try to plead your own case on judgment day, and you're not going to fare well. No man can be saved except through Jesus. Remember Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Can I plead with you here today? Please, repent of your sins. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Receive the Holy Ghost, which is his gift. And God, when he judges you, yes, you'll still have to answer for your works. But thank God, we'll only be saved by the blood of Jesus. I finished up the last lesson in Bible 101 series, lesson number 11, talking about people inside the house were not perfect on Passover, but the blood caused the Lord to pass by them and spare them. The blood of Jesus can cover a lot of things. And so, please, apply the blood to your life today. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this Bible 101 episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you think. Also email BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That is B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com to leave us comments, questions, or maybe ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.